We started a series last week entitled From Chaldea to Canaan. And my desire is to make some application to our church body as we approach 40 years of reaching the Black Hills for Christ. Because this is our 40th anniversary coming up in November, our uh, emphasis will be the children of Israel crossing over Jordan and into Canaan after 40 years. And remember, our theme this year is from Deuteronomy chapter 2 and verse 7 on the back of the wall there. The whole verse reads, For the Lord thy God hath blessed thee in all the works of thy hand. He knoweth thy walking through this great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord thy God hath been with thee. Thou hast lacked nothing. And as I stated last week, this is not to imply in any manner that our church has been in a wilderness for 40 years. I don't want to make that connection, but we're just making application from this account. And we started last week by considering Abram and him being called out of Ur of the Chaldees and into Canaan and and how that is what made him a Hebrew because he had passed from one region to another. And remember that that's the major emphasis, one of the major emphasis in the Bible. Is everybody okay? It's one of the major emphasis in the Bible that God wants a people called out unto Himself. If everybody's ready, we'll start. God wants a people that is called out to Himself, those who have passed from one side to the other. And we see God illustrating this several times. Abram crossed over the Euphrates River out of Chaldea. The children of Israel went through the Red Sea into Egypt, or out of Egypt. And the children of Israel will cross over the Jordan River and into the Promised Land. Remember in Joshua 24, verses 2 and 3, And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nacor, listen now, they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And so God was calling Abram out to bring a people unto himself. And, and Abram would have to leave his old life and begin a new life. He would have to leave his family's gods in idolatry and serve a new God. And so in the strictest sense of the word, you and I are to be Hebrews. Those who have crossed from one location to another. And remember what a church is. Jesus said, follow me. Jesus was calling out the disciples starting the the first church. They left their old life behind and they came unto Christ. And we too are called out of the world and have passed over into another life by the power of God through Christ. We have passed from death to life. We have passed from idolatry to God. We have passed from darkness to light. We have passed over into the land of the living. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 and 19, and verses 22 and 23 say, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and and that burned with fire. Let me just read the highlights here. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, 
to the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven. And so we are to leave this sin-filled world and come into the kingdom of God. We have crossed over and therefore our citizenship is no longer upon this earth, but it's in heaven. Uh, we are now fellow citizens with the saints and of the household in God uh, of God. And so the question last week was this. Have you left Babylon behind? Have you fully crossed over? Do you still have one foot in Chaldea and one foot in Canaan? Are you seeing how close you can live to the boundary? And if our church is going to thrive, then we must come out of Babylon, not be partakers of her sins. Have you fully crossed over? Now that was all last week. And today's going to be more of a recap, uh, or excuse me, more of a, uh, not a recap, but more of an uh, introduction again. And it's just kind of an odd sermon. I think men and boys camp kind of threw me off. And so you'll get out of this what you can, amen? Uh, but tonight we're going to be in Exodus chapter 2 as we fast forward 400 years from Abram to Moses. But before we get to our text, let me give you a brief background. It's hard to summarize 400 years in about five minutes, but um, the Bible does that a lot, amen? Uh, next verse, and you're like, whoa, what happened? Um, <clears throat> and so Abram comes out of Chaldea into Canaan, but Canaan wasn't a land without inhabitants. There were people there, but, but they were wicked. So wicked that uh, Abraham and Isaac both did not want their sons to marry daughters from the land. And so it wasn't like they were coming out to some uncharted region, right? It wasn't like they were going up to Alaska to homestead. Uh, they were going, God was calling them to a place where there were some wicked inhabitants. Uh, Abraham and Sarah have the child of promise and Isaac, and Isaac and Rebekah have Jacob, uh, who in time will come to trust the Lord as his Savior, and his name will be changed to Israel. Israel will have 12 sons who are the beginning of the 12 tribes of Israel. During Jacob's life, he flees from Esau, and guess where he goes back to? Haran. Well, remember, when Abram was coming out of Ur of the Chaldees, he wasn't uh, immediately going where God had said. He stopped off at Haran and was there for a bit till his father died. And so Jacob goes back to Haran, and there um, he, he serves for uh, Leah and Rachel. And in time, Jacob returns back to Canaan. But while in Canaan, the Bible says there was a dearth in all the lands. And by this time, Jacob's children had... Uh, already sold Joseph into slavery. You think you hate your brother or sister? Amen. Uh, they sold him into slavery. He's, he's worked his way up, so to speak, and he's now uh, only below Pharaoh in Egypt. He's in very high authority. He's overseen now the seven years of plenty. Everybody with me on this? I know I'm going fast. He oversees the seven year of plenty, but then there was seven lean years. And during this year of great famine upon all the earth, um, all countries came to Egypt to buy food from Joseph. And another very long story short, Jacob sends his sons down to Egypt to buy food. Eventually, Joseph makes himself known to his brethren, and Jacob and his house moves from Canaan down to Egypt. When Jacob goes from Canaan to Egypt, his house is 70 souls. And they were sustained through the famine, and they dwelt in the land of Goshen there in Egypt. But you know the account, in time there arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph, right? He set taskmasters over the children of Israel because Israel was becoming 
a great multitude. And they were growing to the point that the Egyptians were like, wait just a minute. If they want to, they could probably rebel against us and overthrow us. And so in order to prevent a revolt, they began to enslave them. And the Bible says the more Egypt afflicted the children of Israel, the more they multiplied and grew. And so the Egyptians enslaved the children of Israel, made them to serve with vigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage. But all the while, Israel just keeps increasing in number. They keep uh, increasing in size, and by the time they come out of Egypt, they are likely one to three million in size. So the Pharaoh, in attempt to slow the growth of Israel, orders the infanticide of all the males born among the Hebrews. They were to throw them into the river. Which, as you know, brings us to Moses, whose parents spared his life by placing him in an ark made with reeds, sent him down the river where he ends up being raised in Pharaoh's house. And then when Moses was grown, he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and he takes matters into his own hands. The Bible says he looked every which way but up. He didn't look towards God. He took matters into his own hands, and he killed, he murdered that Egyptian. Well, word gets to Pharaoh and once Moses knows, knows that he's about to be had, he takes off for safety and he flees to the land of Midian where he would remain for 40 years. And this is where we'll pick up the account. How's that for 400 years? Amen. Um, I should do cliff notes on the Bible. <laughs> Exodus chapter 2, look with me in verse 23 through 25. And it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God had respect unto them. The children of Israel's bondage had become so severe that they're a, they're a, in their affliction, they sigh or they groan. They mourn. And, and it, it was such a humbled experience by being afflicted that the Bible says their cry came up unto God. Now, this passage doesn't directly state that they were crying out to God, but we know from Numbers 20.16 and Deuteronomy 26.7 that they were, in fact, crying out to God. And when God heard their cry, He remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that He would bring them into the land of promise. I'm going to turn to Genesis 15 for just a moment. You can join me there if you'd like. And I just want to remind us of this. We read a little bit of this last week, and then we'll return back to Exodus. But in Genesis 15, it says in verses 13 through 21, and he, God, said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. 
In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. The Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaims and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. And you can turn back over to Exodus chapter 2. God had also said to Jacob in Genesis 46, verses 3 and 4, I am the God, or excuse me, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will make there uh, of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. And then Joseph says in Genesis chapter 50, verses 24 and 25, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from hence. How would you like to be the guy carrying the bones? Amen. Now, when Exodus tells us that God remembered his covenant, it's not like God forgot. Everybody with me there? Um, it's rather that it's now time for God to begin to fulfill that covenant that he made with Abram some 400 years earlier. And let us remember that God moves at his time. It's not always pleasant. We don't always agree with it. But we just need to learn God's always on time. And so the children of Israel cry unto God, and evidently they must have retained their knowledge of the God of their forefathers, and no doubt the words of Joseph that I just read have been passed down from generation to generation. And when their cry came unto God, verse 25 tells us that God looked upon the children of Israel and God had respect unto them. And this means that God regarded their condition. He was going to have compassion upon them. He took pity upon them with the purpose to deliver them. And there's an outline there just waiting to be preached. Maybe sometime we'll do that. If you, if you look at that, the children of Israel cried. Then God heard. God remembered his covenant. God looked upon them and God had respect unto them. But the emphasis tonight is how would God handle the situation? How is God going to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt? How is God going to begin to fulfill his covenant? Look with me in chapter 3. Let's read verses 1 through 10. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, but, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside uh, to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, 
And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. It's been 400 years since God made the covenant. It's been 40 years, 40 since Moses fled to the backside of the desert. And right about here is where we need to slow down. And we need to read this carefully. And I want you to get this picture in your mind of what's taking place. Because we're told first in verse 2 that the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. I think we can envision that no problem. But then there's this punctuation of a colon. If I understand this correctly, I'm not an English major and I don't want to be. Amen. I'm just fine being a redneck. I don't care if I can connect the preposition with whatever. And if you're in school, go to school. Amen. Um, but if I understand this correctly, what follows uh, that colon is going to explain that first statement more in detail. So we're told the angel of the Lord speaks unto Moses, but let's take special note of what led up to Moses hearing the angel of the Lord as we get more details following that statement. We see in verse 2 that Moses looked and beheld a bush burned with fire. Now there's nothing unusual about that. Amen. Uh, if you lived in that climate, if you lived in that region, it's not unusual to see a fire. Um, and, and so uh, when, a, when a bush in that kind of environment would catch fire, it would consume very quickly. Right? Everybody got this? Before I became pastor and I had all kind of time on my hand, <laughs> um, I was a bit of a pyromaniac. And um, <clears throat> we won't talk about the Christmas tree burning. No. Christmas tree burning, That we'll save that for Christmas. I nearly lost my eyebrows. It was a good time. Um, I did lose some of my hair. But anyway, um, I was on a kick where I was burning tumbleweeds. And if you ever burn tumbleweeds and you put them in like a, a, a fire pit of some sort and there's a little bit of heat under it, it'll just smoke profusely. And then all of a sudden, it'll combust. And within seconds, the thing's gone. It'll just be like, and it's gone. And I just love that, amen. It looks like a nuclear bomb went off. And anyway, this bush, which Moses sees, it's not consumed, right? It's not burning up. It's on fire in a dry climate, which was nothing unusual. And it should have burned up and consumed away very quickly. But what catches Moses' attention is that it's not consuming. Now I want you to get this. Moses would have been content just to pass on by this burning bush. No doubt he had seen many fires in 40 years of being on the backside of the desert. But there's something different here. So in verse 3, Moses turns aside to see this great sight. He's turning to see why the bush is not burning. And in verse 4, we learn that the Lord did not call unto Moses until he saw 
until God saw Moses turn aside to see the sight. Is everybody catching this? Look at verse 4 again. It says this. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. So I hope you can see how this is actually unfolding because I think many will read this so fast and will just glaze over it that we, we have it in our head that Moses turned aside because he heard the angel of the Lord. But God did not call unto Moses until he turned aside to see the burning bush. And notice that Moses did not even turn to see God. He's not turning to have a conversation with God. He's, he's turning because this bush is on fire and it's not being consumed. Then God calls out to Moses. And I can't help but wonder, what would have happened if Moses never turned? And just said, well, there's another bush on fire. I'm just going to keep walking. You know, sometimes, listen now, I believe we can miss the miraculous while just going through the mundane. We can miss what God is doing in the midst of just going through our routine. But, but here Moses, while he could have passed on figuring this was just another fire in the wilderness, he paused long enough to notice this wasn't just another bush on fire, but that it was a miracle. And I want to tell you tonight, as, as we do this series to take us into 40 years, that this church is a miracle of God. It should not be here. If we're not careful, we'll just come in here and we'll go through the same routine and miss the miracle that God is trying to do here. Miss what God is doing here. Is everybody with me? Oh, look, another choir special. Oh, look, another, uh, another special by a singer. Look, uh, the offering plate is going by me as I put nothing in it. Oh, look, another sermon. Oh, look, there's another altar call. And because we've been in hundreds... And thousands of church services, it means nothing, and we can sit back there and we can have a good time and play around and not care what the preacher's saying. And it'll be no big deal that we cross over 40 years because we're just going through the mundane of church. We get content, we get complacent with how things are going, how we are functioning and I want to tell you this is exactly why we don't see revival. Because we don't get hungry enough. We're content with what we're doing tonight. It's just another fire. 
we're just another church. And we'll miss the miraculous. Week after week, you come and you watch this pulpit burn with fire. But when we say the last amen, for how many does the fire begin to go out? And all it becomes is just another burning bush for people to pass by. It becomes just another pulpit where sermons are preached. I'm reminded of what Jesus said to the multitude concerning John the Baptist. In Matthew 11, verses 7 through 9, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say, more than a prophet. And I feel like saying these words sometimes. What came ye out to church to see? A reed? A man? A prophet? I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, we are much more than just another gathering of people on a Sunday. But we are people and children and church of the living God. We need to see that by the grace of God, this pulpit burns with fire. But it is not consumed. Because it is a miracle from God. And it would do us some good to turn aside and see this great sight and commune with God sometime upon these altars. When God called Moses, notice what he says to him in verses 7 through 10. Let's read that again. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hellite, Jebusites. That sounds like one of those. Um, anyway. Um, now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me. And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, isn't it interesting that in verse 8, God says, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. But in verse 10, God says to Moses, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And I'm not saying I understand it all. But God didn't just go in there himself and wipe out the Egyptians. God didn't just send an angel from the outset to break the Egyptians' will. And God didn't send an army from another nation. 
God could have done any number of things, I suppose. But God chose to send a man. God chose to send a prophet. God sent a preacher. And this is how God decided to respond to Israel's cry for liberty. God heard their cry, but listen, Moses then also had to turn aside to hear the call of God. And before God is going to call out an assembly, there's got to be a desperate people and a willing preacher. Pastor Williams used to teach the preacher boys that as God is preparing a preacher, he's preparing a people, and he's preparing a place for those two to meet. Now, I want to apply this to our church because that's where we're going. Back there in the late 70s, there were a group of people who one way or another had made their sojourn to Rapid City, South Dakota. Their names are on the wall out there on the charter. They had retained their faith and they were even gathering together, but evidently they sensed there could have been more. In a manner of speaking, they were in bondage. There wasn't a complete filling of liberty. And there was a cry somehow that was made unto God. It may not have been a collective cry, but no doubt they remembered the God of their fathers and how it could be. God heard their cry, and He remembered His new covenant through the blood of Christ. And He looked upon them, and He had respect unto them. Is everybody with me? For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards Him. God manifests Himself to those who are looking for Him. Andrew went to his brother Peter and said this, We have found the Messiah. Which being interpreted as the Christ. Jesus then goes up to Philip and says, Follow me. Philip then goes and finds Nathanael and says this, We have found Him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus first, don't miss this, Jesus first showed up to those who were looking for Him. Those who were desirous for Him to show up. And now back to our application. After a people became desirous for more in Rapid City, then God called a man. God didn't send an angel. God did not send an army. But God sent a preacher. And Rapid City was like that burning bush. And I'm sure many people had seen it burning with fire and just assumed it was another fire that would consume whatever it was burning. So they passed on by and never turned aside. Well, all all along, God was at work in the heart of Pastor Wayne Williams. And as others passed by, there there, there was one man who turned aside and said, I will look at this great sight. And when he turned aside, heard the call of God upon his life to go to the Black Hills of South Dakota. And here we are, still gathering nearly 40 years later. And I'm challenging you tonight, I'm challenging you 
not to lose sight of the miracle that is Liberty Baptist Tabernacle through the routine of attending church week after week. I thank God for our church. I thank God for His sustaining grace. I thank God for the Williams who left a very comfortable situation and gave everything they had to carve out a work in Rapid City, South Dakota. Are you looking for Him? He's not going to force His presence in your life. Are you crying out to Him? He's not going to work on your behalf until you acknowledge your need for Him. And maybe you're here and you're just one of those, you've just grown accustomed to church. That's what my parents do. They just bring me to church. Maybe some adults, that's what we do. We just go to church. And maybe you've lost sight of the miracle of this body of Christ, but please don't take what we have here for granted. Maybe you just need to Say, thank you, Lord, for our church. What a blessing it is to be somewhere where the truth from God's Word is presented. Perhaps God is waiting for you to turn aside so He can call you to do great things for His glory. I don't know how God spoke to you tonight, but however He did, you respond accordingly. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for your Word. Lord, may we never take for granted what you're doing here and that 40 years ago there was a family who turned aside to see this great sight and followed you after you called them to Rapid City to start Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. And God, may we never become a people that's grown complacent of the miracle of our church. You've assembled us from all over. We are not here by accident. And as we'll see through this series, you have a very definite purpose for us. So God, I pray you'd work in hearts now for Christ's sake. Amen.